Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Isn't it great to see how the Lord uses um, different people in the church with their gifts to, to just further his kingdom? And, and the Lord provides in all of that. And so we give him thanks for, for just this team and their efforts there. So this morning we're going to get into a little bit of a difficult Bible passage that, uh, that I'm titling Restoration, okay? Um, this is a, a great passage that I think we all need to kind of wrestle through at times and, and afterwards. Uh, we'd love to have more discussion with anybody that, that wants to have some conversations about this passage as well. So I want to start you off with a story, okay? There was once a student who had developed a reputation for being a zealous believer. His passionate attacks on his opponents were known for their anger and, their, and his harsh rhetoric. One day he explained to a teacher, you know, I have dedicated my life to opposing everyone whose beliefs are false and who teach errors. Fighting lies is a full-time job. The teacher asked the, asked the man, have you attempted to put yourself in your opponent's positions before you attack them? Indeed I have, said the student. I study them carefully in order, it, it, I'm sorry, <laughs> I study them closely uh, in order to make my charges more devastating to them. Through, or through observation and study, I can discover their weaknesses. Suddenly, the mild-mannered teacher exploded. He shouted and pointed his finger at him, and he started calling the man names until he was begging him to stop. Once again, the calm and soft-spoken teacher continued. In order to put yourself in place of your opponents, it's not enough to know what they think. You must also know how they feel when you attack them. Only when you fully understand your opponent, intellectually and emotionally, will you be a full servant of the truth. From that day on, it was more humble and a more thoughtful man. Unfortunately, we sometimes go to have a conversation with somebody or try to confront somebody. Pride gets in the way. And we would prefer to reprimand rather than rescue people. Our culture today is one that oftentimes will blast something or blast someone for something they have said or have done. They can even be attacked or publicly on social media at times. The conversation becomes more of a debate than a sincere appeal for change. Can we agree and admit that we've probably all fallen into this at some point in our lives? As believers, we are called to a different approach. As we talk about restoring relationships this morning, it will likely bring to mind both current and probably some past situations 
uh, and relationships that have been strained in your life. You may find yourself asking questions like, what could I have done differently? Or are there still things that I should be thinking about doing or taking, uh, taking effort to um, seek restoration? If we're being honest, most of us are probably not eager or excited about bringing up sin or bringing up sin in someone else's life. But God calls us to do this for the benefit of the person. He can work these situations for his purposes. On the other side of this, we should also understand if, that we, if we are ever confronted ourselves by something maybe we have done, remember that these are people that love and care for us and are wanting to try and help us in that sin or situation. So before we jump into all this, I, I really want to pray for this message. Uh, let's ask the Lord for his help and understanding. So would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for all that it, it has to say to us. And Lord, we, we ask for your wisdom this morning. There's so many different situations in each of our lives that, that may come to mind. And I just pray, Father, that you would help us to work through those. I pray that you would help us to work through them according to your word. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. Just teach us this morning. Help my words to be your words this morning. Um, and just affect our hearts and change our hearts today. In Jesus' name pray. Amen. All right, so I love the fact that Matthew, um, we're going to be getting into Matthew 18, verses uh, 15 um, through 35 today. Uh, but I love the fact that, that Matthew places bookends on this passage, okay, on this section of Scripture. We ended last week with the parable of the lost sheep, right? Joe, Joe was talking about that. And the goal of restoring the lost sheep through grace to the flock, right? The good shepherd cares enough to seek and save a, wayward, a lost and wayward sheep to restore him to his flock. Now, at the other end of this section, we're going to hear about a story um, about an immeasurable amount, amount of grace that is offered to a person by a king. This grace is not to be taken thought, thoughtlessly. It has the power to restore beyond what we can imagine. In the middle, we have this passage of restoration, which is the title of this message, Restoration, okay? Now, restoration definition, I want to give you a couple definitions as we get started here. It says, return someone or something to a former condition, place, or position, repair or renovate so as to return to its original condition. So we can keep that in mind as we go through today. But realize that these are word, worldly definitions, right? Okay? The awesome thing about Christian restoration is that it can help bring someone back to an, a better than original state. This is something that can be even better. As Christians, God calls us to be gentle restorers of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We will be talking today about four different ways that we can do this. We can restore through rescue. We can restore through Jesus. We can restore through forgiveness. And we can restore through grace. 
And this is what we're going to get into today. So let's get into the first one, restoring through rescue. Okay, Churches and organizations often use Matthew 18 as a method of conflict resolution. Okay, Now, there are principles in this passage that help us to approach conflicts. However, general conflict isn't the actual main idea of the passage. Matthew 18 is a rescue mission for someone who is in sin. Okay? The tone of Matthew 18 that we will be looking at today is not a reprimand again. It's one of a gentle approach and a gentle appeal that will hopefully rescue them from the sin that is impacting their relationship with God and restore a, re a right relationship with their father. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 also captures this idea and kind of summarizes it for us. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So how many of you here like to restore things? Do we have any restores in here, like even uh, homes or furniture or old cars or uh, a few of you out there, hopefully? Um, sometimes this can take a lot of time and effort to accomplish, right? For example, when you take, when you're restoring a home and you go and you, you go to, you're restoring, say, the trim of a room, when you go to pull that off, that trim off, a lot of times you have to, you have to take um, just your different tools and everything, approach it in several different places, and you have to be careful as you pull it off because if you pry too hard, that trim is going to break. Okay, so you have to be gentle, you have to, but you have to put pressure on it too, and you have to, to be firm in, in pulling that trim off but you have to be gentle as you pull and you pry, okay? I want us to keep this in mind as, as we are talking about this this morning. We want to keep this gentle patience and a, a, the, the gentle patience and the humble attitude of a carpenter restoring a piece of wood to a new condition as we consider the end of Matthew 18, the hope is that a person's vertical relationship with God would be restored, and then when the, with people surrounding them, or, and then hopefully that would carry over to the people surrounding them, right? It is possible that we can be used as instruments in the carpenter's hands to restore a right relationship with Jesus. So, we often look at this passage as a process. So let's start in verse 15. It says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. I want to start off with a few notes here so we don't pull this out of context, okay? First of all, it says, if your brother. All right, we should remember that this is a process is to be taken with uh, fellow believers. It's meant to restore relationships uh, between those who have a common belief in the Bible and Scripture. We are appealing to the, another person on the basis of this common standard of Scripture, God's Word, right? A second note is that even though this verse tells us to go 
tell him his fault, it does not give you the authority to become a fault finder. Okay? There is a difference between observing or being the object of somebody's sin and watching and waiting for somebody to sin. You can take this verse too far and, and feel that it is your responsibility to point out what other people are doing wrong. But unfortunately, our view of wrong may look a little different than somebody else's view of wrong. Sometimes logs in our own eyes can get in the way of how we see things. This is why the Bible is so important. We have to have a common standard in the Bible. So it's not our view of somebody's actions, but God's view. If your brother sins against you, okay? Now this, this phrase that is used here, we want to be careful. It can be difficult to understand because there's a lot of translations that leave out the words against you, okay? And we're not going to get into the details of that this morning. But regardless of your stance, the goal remains the same. The goal remains the same, which is to rescue a brother and sister in danger from sin. And this requires love and humility and a reliance on the Holy Spirit. Okay? So if your brother sins, all right, I'm sorry to, to inform you of this this morning, but it's not a sin if somebody took your parking spot in the lot this morning. Okay? It's not a sin that somebody over here got displaced because of these tables this morning and took your seat in church this morning, right? It's not a sin if somebody took the last chocolate chip cookie at the Christmas Eve service in line in front of you. Um, and sin isn't something that someone is doing differently than the way you would do it. When we talk about sin, you should be able to identify this as a biblical sin. Stealing, lying, fits of rage, jealousy, idolatry, sexual immorality, adultery, drunkenness, immorality, and many others, right? We should be able to communicate the sin that has taken place because of Scripture. Okay? A third note to this verse is to begin privately, between you and him alone. We should approach a person and sin privately before we get others involved. It's, it is always kind and displays grace when we help people without publicly embarrassing them, especially when you may not understand the whole situation. Remember that the goal is to rescue. This will hopefully help, you, help them to appreciate your approach and you will have gained your brother. The idea here is to persuade them and win them over as a friend. Now, I want to clarify that this would not include sins of a criminal nature, all right? There are times when you need to go immediately or directly to authorities and that sort of thing. So we're not describing those, uh, those circumstances. So when you have somebody sin against you, or you have observed a pattern of sin in somebody's life, and you decide to have a conversation, it's important to trust God with the results. 
let's be honest, things don't always go as we expect sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't go as well as we thought it would. And then sometimes it goes much better than we could have ever imagined. I sometimes feel a lot of us go into these situations and think to ourselves that, you know, I've prayed about it. I'm doing what is good. I'm doing what is right. And that it's God's will for this person to repent. That they are going to see our viewpoint and make an immediate change. The reality is we don't always see the full picture, do we? And we are human, and we sometimes also get it wrong. Let us remember that we are not without sin in our own lives, and we need to be humble in our approach, open to hearing a different explanation, a viewpoint that we may not have observed from our, uh, from our perspective. I want to give you an example of this um, uh, this morning. There was once a time where I went to lunch with another woman at Wendy's. And we're sitting there having lunch, and, and um, I was talking with her and, and that sort of thing, and there were some other people there that knew me and s- observed me having lunch with this other woman other than my wife. And, and I had this lunch, and I actually, and I can't remember the, the exact circumstances, but I believe I grabbed her hand, and we either prayed for the meal, or at some point I, I grabbed her hand and talked about that. Um, And this person was concerned, and rightly so. I'm so glad that they came to me because I was able to have a discussion with them that I was having lunch with my sister. Okay? So so I was so thankful that they came and and actually said, you know, just wanted to, to, you know, understand this a little bit more. They were so humble. They were so gentle in approaching me about it. But this was, this was my sister that I've grown up with my whole entire life. And so sometimes we can get things wrong if we're not careful. So we need to approach things gently and humbly. I also want to encourage you to trust God when you go. Trust him to work out the details and trust him with the results. In most cases, this first interaction with, something, with someone is all that it takes to resolve a concern regarding sin. But if sin is present and the person decides to continue in their sin, then we should continue to pursue them by getting others involved. Verse 16 says this, But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay. When you take other lo- others along with you, I want to encourage you that in addition to taking a person that you trust, try to take along somebody that the person that you are confronting respects and trusts and hopefully even has maybe a friendship with. Don't just gather up people and start to build a coalition to, to back up your conviction in this situation. A close friend of this person may be able to persuade them in a way that you can't because they already have trust built with one another and are less likely to be defensive. The person being approached should see this as one or two additional people that love and care for them. Hopefully this will help them to more fully consider what is being said. Now if the person still 
continues to persist in their sin without repentance. We move on to verse 17. This process should not be taken lightly and only after much consideration. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him, to be, to, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now this may seem harsh to some of you, but keep in mind that repentance is the goal, right? The church can play an important role in convincing a person of their sin. If they even refuse to listen to the church and they continue in their sin without repentance, then we treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector, which means to treat them as an unbeliever. They are choosing to continue in sin and have a misunderstanding of the grace of God. And we need to continue to appeal to them as if they are an unbeliever. The thing about grace is when you truly understand it, it has an effect of transforming your heart through repentance. God's grace is undeserved, and there's nothing you can do to earn it. But God's grace also changes you and your desires to live for him. So Paul put it this way in Romans 6, 1 and 2. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to consider or are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? If someone is choosing to hold on to their sin, they are choosing to live apart from God's word. The only thing that may convince them are the consequences of their decisions. Sin is serious and has serious consequences. 1 Corinthians 5.5 5 says this, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. There are natural consequences to sin. And sometimes it takes these consequences to open a sinner's eyes to their need for a savior. Some of us have probably seen this happen with friends of yours, with others, when it takes serious consequences to wake them up for their need for help, for their need for a savior. I've had several friends that have hit rock bottom, and they have expressed to me that they regret that time in their life. And now they are truly repentant for what they have done. They now have a much better understanding of this unmeasurable grace of Jesus. So Jesus really has to be the focus of these conversations. So the second way that we restore people is we restore them through Jesus. Okay? Verse 18 says this, Truly I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. We should keep verses 18 through 20 in the context, again, of what is happening. 
why are these people gathering together? Why are they here? They're gathering together with each other in order to restore a person that is wayward and in sin. It's important to keep these verses in light of the gospel, okay? Now, a similar phrase was actually used in Matthew 8, or 16, verses 19. Jesus was asking his disciples, uh, who do you say that I am? And they responded by saying, the Messiah. Jesus, you are the Messiah, right? And then he says this to them. It's a similar, similar scripture. Matthew 16, 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed, on, loosed in heaven. I believe that the main idea here is that the gospel of Jesus Christ either convicts people or it sets them free. When we proclaim Jesus in the gospel to others, it begins to reveal their life in a similar way that Jesus' true nature was revealed in the transfiguration, like Jason talked about a few weeks ago. Like light beginning to shine in a dark room reveals whether the room is clean or whether it's dirty. The gospel of, and God's word reveals sin or innocence and clarifies if discipline needs to be exercised, which tightens and binds, or whether repentance has taken place and a person is being set free or loosed from their bonds. Again, I say to you, in verse 19 it says this, again I say to you, if two or three of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Okay, verses 19 and 20 are often sometimes misused or misunderstood. We often think of, think of these verses as a promise that God will answer our prayers when we as Christians are gathered together and are in agreement. But keep in mind that there are many other scriptures on prayer that we also have to consider throughout the Bible. We also need to remember Isaiah 55, 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We should be praying for God's will to be done. When we are appealing to a person about sin, we should seek God in prayer and trust that he is working in convicting a person's heart to receive any correction that we may offer. Okay. Again, this context here in these verses where two or more are gathered um, are seeking reconciliation of Christians separated by sin and especially separated from God because of their sin. They are meeting in my name, seeking and asking God for his wisdom in these circumstances. The focus is on Jesus and asking for all things to work together for good. There I am among them, he says. He also walks along with us in this process. As Christians, we recognize that God is with us and helping us and giving us supernatural wisdom and actively working with our circumstances, both good and bad. We have to remember that God is the one 
who changes hearts. Ezekiel 36, 26, and I give you a, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Understanding that God is the one that changes hearts should give us peace. We don't have to be anxious about these situations because God is present and working in the hearts of everyone involved, us included. Our trust should be in Jesus to restore relationships because Jesus is our example of true reconciliation and forgiveness. Which brings us to our third point and how we restore through forgiveness. Verses 21 and 22 says this, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. All right. Now, back in biblical times, rabbis, I think, would discuss this question. And the general consensus was you should forgive somebody up to three times. And then beyond that, you really didn't have to forgive them. Um, I'm sure that Peter's thinking, well, we can do more than that, right? Uh, We can forgive them seven times. That's like almost double three times. That's like double the forgiveness, right? Jesus responds with much more grace than that. Seventy-seven times. So whether that's 77 times or 70 times, however you do the math, you guys, you mathematicians can figure that out for us. We're not to track exactly how many that is, how many times we forgive somebody. It's a large number. We should not give up reconciliation for those who, are, who keep sinning, okay? What Jesus is saying here is we should have unlimited forgiveness toward the truly repentant. Now, I want to step aside here to clarify a few things. Forgiving somebody does not mean that you have to stay in destructive or abusive relationships. For example, if somebody takes your car out for a a joyride and demolishes it, even though they may truly be sorry and you find it in your heart to forgive them, that doesn't mean you have to give them the keys to your car again. All right? There are consequences to sin, and sometimes boundaries are needed to help prevent the sin from happening again. Rebuilding that trust with somebody can take time. It can take a lot of time. Second, if somebody is truly repentant, they have characteristics that they are pursuing in their life. All right? A repentant person recognizes the sin and pursues ways to correct the situation. They're pursuing ways to correct it. Like worldly, worldly sorrow, they're just sorry they got caught, right? There's a difference. B, they realize that the, the pain that they have caused, and they, they accept that there will be consequences for their actions. A truly repentant person will do this. A worldly repentance, they just try to avoid the consequences. And see, the, the, 
they are, these people are also amazed by the forgiveness that has been offered. And they strive to change their behavior. This change in a person's heart will be revealed over time. So if you choose to forgive someone and forgiveness is offered, it should be as Jesus is describing here, 77 times or basically unlimited. This may need to take place with a truly repentant person many times before they really begin to change. But this also may even need to happen daily within your heart. Lord, I forgive them. And then you wake up the next morning and that situation's back in your mind again. Lord, I forgive them. It may take time and it may take many times for it to actually help you to get past it. You need to be patient. If you have decided in your heart to cover over an offense with love and you have forgiven them, then we have no right to take it up again. Proverbs 17.9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. This is where grace comes in. We can restore through grace, which is our last point for this morning. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And again, I'm not going to describe this in detail. There's all kinds of commentaries out there that will give you details on how much this is actually in our times. But it was a debt that could not be paid through working and giving everything that you owned for the rest of your life. It was a tremendous debt, okay? Picking back up in verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is really a small amount. It was probably about a hundred hours, considering those times, uh, of, of work. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master, master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father 
will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. There's a lot there, (laughs) and we're running out of time. And I would encourage you to go and and study this passage and continue to be in it. But there's so much to uh, unpack here. So we're going to take a look at it from a really, really high perspective. All right? First of all, there is a day coming that we will be called before, before the king to settle an account for our lives. Second, because of sin... We have an immeasurable debt and no hope at all of coming up with resources needed to pay that debt on our own. Third, because of our merciful king, we have been offered a complete cancellation of that debt. Justice in this case is dismissed. And grace can be given. And last, this debt is much greater than we will ever find ourselves needing to forgive someone else for. And therefore, we should be willing to forgive others in the same mercy and grace that has been demonstrated to us. So I'm going to invite the band to come up and we're going to close. I have a couple of things, that I, a couple more things I just want to say to you. We are recipients of immeasurable, immeasurable grace when we come to Jesus and place our faith in him. That grace continues throughout our lives as he continues to lay down his life for us. He intercedes for us. And is always working on our behalf. Christ is the, Jesus Christ is the ultimate carpenter, restoring us to a condition better than new. The amazing part about this story, too, though, is that he uses us as instruments of this restoration to those around us as well. We can be used as tools in the carpenter's hands to make things new again. And I want to leave you with this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 20. It says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Jesus wants you to come to him. He wants you to consider the sin in your life. And come before him, especially if you have not placed your trust in him yet. Be reconciled to God. Be restored by his saving grace that he offers. Now, I know that this passage that we talked about this morning can sometimes raise different questions. And we want you to know that as your pastors, 
we always would love to have come more conversations about this. If you would like to talk about this or any other things, please come to us. We love talking about Scripture and what it has to say and how it applies to our lives. And so we encourage you to do that. And so let's, let's pray about this passage as we close and, and just ask the Lord to continue to teach us through his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for, for all that you have in your word this morning. And Lord, we just pray that you would give us wisdom as we try to live out this scripture that we have this morning. Father, there's so many different pieces of this that we have not even talked about this morning. But, but Lord, we know that you are with us, you give us your word, and you help us to apply it to our lives. And Lord, I just pray that if, if you would help us this morning, if there is any sin in any of our lives, that you would help to restore us into a right relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing of his immeasurable grace.